0: Thank you. How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra.
1: He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Beth Mantle, Tim Foss, and Dave Clark. How is it going, everybody?
2: Going well, going well, still undefeated. So top Can't of the shield. Really
0: yeah, it's all coming. It's all coming up Sounders these days. Uh, Tim, you were with me in the press box on Wednesday. It yeah. felt it to me like I I I know a lot had been made over the Sounders running this unbeaten streak. It's an impressive streak. Thirteen unbeaten is a big deal, but for me, like this, and I think. Realistically, the streak is very much like a pub trivia type of thing. Like, not you don't get anything for going 13 straight, whether in the beginning of the season or the end of the season or whatever. Except
2: for 29 points,
0: you do get 29 points in this case. And and I guess that's my point is a little bit that the the value like they needed this win. I think I think this win was actually a was big deal. Like they needed they they needed to get three points. They didn't need to run this to 13 games. They needed to to get three points. In fact, they probably would have traded a couple of the ties they had to add a win this year, math being the key component here. But what what did you think of the performance on, on Wednesday?
1: I thought they looked really good. Um, you know, you look at the stats after the game and they actually ended up having a little bit less possession than Houston did, but the things that really matter, they had two goals to none which is the most important one they took 19 shots to Houston's 11 and I think Houston only took like four of their shots from inside of the box Um, those are the things that ultimately matter the most I think it's really impressive the way that the team has continued to put up really strong defensive performances, even as they continually have to rotate for one reason or another, both the goalkeeper has changed. The back three has changed repeatedly. The wings, ba- wing backs have changed a little bit. The midfield in front of the defense has changed routinely and they still, they've got six clean sheets through the season, even removing those clean sheets they've only given up eight total goals through even if you just take the seven games that they've been scored on the defensive record as far as like goals allowed per games is better than more than half of the rest of mls total like they have just been absolutely dominant defensively they don't give up chances and that was the case again they you know, unlike some other games, they took advantage of the chances that they were able to create. And I, I think that is a real Testament to the quality
3: of this team. Tim, I think you can, you can, it sounds like you have the numbers there uh, close by so you can fact check this, but my memory says only two games, have they given up two or more goals and both of them have only been two goal games. Um, More than one goal. We'll say, yeah. So more than one goal off and only two, uh, and that's with the defense, as you said, like a couple times they've had their fourth and fifth center back, one of them being a guy who didn't even start the season on the roster, a backup goalkeeper. Um, two different teenagers have started as defensive midfielders during this stretch as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's more about like the team philosophy. We, we've seen this year, especially um, pressures up the pitch, like pressures in their own attacking third have increased you see Raul being a much more effective defender Uh, the whole team has bought into this idea that if the opponents score zero or one goals the Sounders are winning and uh it's worked and it's kind of interesting or fun just in that also when you press high up the field you you get these nice moments where it'll it only takes two passes and Ravel has a shot in the area. So um, it, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're a defense first team that scores more goals than just about anybody.
0: The thing I think is maybe the most remarkable bit of trivia about this team is that through 13 games, I think they've only had two players start every game in the same position. And that's Alex Roldon at right back, which will not be the case in their first game back from the break. And we're all Rui Diaz who I think we all expected to be missing a bunch of games due to international duty. He's going to, I think he's started every game as he's started every game, right? At forward and everyone else has been rotating around, uh, you know, Kellen roll has started a lot more games than I think anyone had envisioned. Uh, AB Sissoko obviously has ended up starting a bunch of games. Uh, you know, I, I wrote about this in my column this week. You know, we started off with the season saying, like, okay, well, the Sounders are really only as good as Nicholas Ladero can take them. Well, he's played 24 minutes. And then it was, well, their uh their defense is really only as good as it's it's only excelling because Nuhu has been this standout player. They've gone now five games without him. I think they're 3-0 and 2 in the in the five games that Nuhu has missed. And then it was Okay, well, Christian Roldan, clearly he's the glue that's keeping this team together, right? And then he misses this last game, and they have a shutout against a playoff team. I mean, you 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 keep taking pieces away, and you keep saying like, okay, well, this is, the team's only as good as this as this player is holding up. And I think right now, if you were to ask me, I'd say it's probably Joe Paulo. The team might, you know, I I suspect the team would maybe be struggling a lot more without Joe Paulo, and maybe maybe you could say Raul Rui Diaz as well, but I don't know that's being, I don't want to find those two things out. I would really prefer that they, uh, that we not test this theory, but it's just amazing how you keep taking away pieces and you're not taking away pieces that are like on the periphery of their success, but like seemingly core to their success and they keep winning games.
2: Yeah. It definitely feels like you, you take away pieces, but you're still the sounders. And that's the important thing at the end of the day.
0: And it's a silly, you know, it, it sounds so cliche and it sounds so like corny that you can build a team on an ethos that is next man up because it's like, I guess every coach theoretically wants to build that. And and I think Brian has been preaching this for a long time, but this does feel like they're really living that
3: right now. Yeah, you, you talked about all the pieces that the, they've lost and um that might just go to show that this uh this coaching staff and and general manager kind of those are the pieces that they can't do without that maybe (laughs) like you know uh he hasn't ever appeared in the uh i think he got third in 2016 for coach of the year mainly due to the that resurgent run that got them into mls cup but uh the, the national vibe around around Brian is still that he's kind of this f- folksy old dude that doesn't know what he's doing that just kind of gets lucky. And um, it's it's uh, becoming rapidly apparent that uh, he is the best American soccer coach that hasn't coached the U.S. national team. Uh, well, and, and, and that's it. Like, he belongs in the same conversation as – Bob Bradley, as Bruce Arena, as Siggy Schmidt, Uh, not like to offend Caleb Porter, you don't belong in that conversation, but Brian Schmetzer belongs in the conversation with the absolute legends of American soccer.
0: Well, and I think in defense of the narrative, I think Brian has gone out of his way to sort of feed that perception. Well, yeah, he he deflects he deflects, you know praise at every opportunity he talks about how great his coaching staff is he talks about how the this is the players team and I think all that's true but I also think that's part of what makes him so good is that he's not out there looking to prove that he's the smartest guy in the room you know you just look at this most recent weekend I don't know if you guys saw this but you know Bruce Arena when did one of his patented Bruce Arena things where you know after a loss every question he gets, he makes it sound like the person who's asking it is not qualified to ask the question. And instead of putting it like doing his best to explain why maybe their perception is wrong. He just like does this, you know, New Jersey guy who's above all the talk and he just kind of comes off like an asshole. And, and I, and I think that, you know, part of that is, you know, it's like kind of, I, I guess there's there's a part of that that's entertaining, and it's you know like the, there's something to be said for like having interesting coaches who challenge the media and doing all those kinds of things. And I don't I'm not saying it's all bad, but I do think that part of it is also to serve to remind everyone that he knows stuff that they don't, and that's and that I think also feeds the perception that he's like a genius or that he really knows stuff that people don't because he's almost literally telling them, "I know things you don't know." Whereas Brian is not inclined to do that. Like he takes every question that he gets and certainly he gets frustrated when people question the effort of the team or the tactics of the team or whatever. But he also, you know, he, he, he very rarely dismisses a question and,
3: uh, but, and I we, you, we
0: could do a whole show about how Brian is underappreciated and why, but.
3: um, We, we did see him get tense during uh, some of those zoom press conferences, but you saw it like his first ever, uh, like or his second practice press conference um i i was fortunate enough to be there and he's talking to reporters by name bringing up pointing out that uh even in questions that they didn't ask it'd be like you know so and so with this issue i i saw you know you're an expert on blah 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 uh, and he brings that around and welcomes the reporters and kind of that dialogue and bruce arena is is like you go to one of his, and maybe it, you know some of it's yes, Brian's winning a lot of games, but honestly, Bruce Arena and New England are like third in the Shield race right now, and yet he's basically just trying to uh, destroy reporters' uh, morale, basically just yeah, like don't undercut don't them don't so much that they don't, don't want, want to go I ask questions. Yeah, and it, it's just you know, one guy's in first, the other guy's in third, one guy is uh you know engaging with the reporters in a way that makes it clear that he's reading their material and has been all of his life and the other guy is like um get out of my locker room uh, right and the the demeanor is just so different and that's that folks the folksiness there for for brian does kind of hurt his national reputation but at some point you have to look at the fact that uh he has more wins than uh some organizations do in their history, even though they've existed longer than he's been a head coach.
0: He's been very successful. Uh, and, no, yeah. no question about it. Uh, but to steer this back to the the team at hand and the job that he's doing this year, uh, I, I was really pleased in the, in the Sounders ability to create chances. I was a little worried about their propensity to, like, they, the, the XG allowed was not super high, so it wasn't like they were giving up a bunch of high-quality shots, but they were playing, they they, get, they had a lot of giveaways in their end. There were points in this game that I thought were a little looser than they would have liked. Uh, maybe the best example of that was a moment that that I think Beth can maybe speak to where Steve Cleveland got a, caught in a little bit of no man's land.
2: Yeah, we saw it in the game against Vancouver, and we ended up conceding a goal from it, but AB and Steph just, they seem to get their wires a bit crossed when they're, when they're coming at each other, and you see little Steph run out of the box and, like, jump in, like, a starfish position at the player that's coming at him, and the ball goes past him, but luckily this time, I guess they've been, like, practicing that maybe or maybe it was just from the dry <laughs> run in the Vancouver game but AB knew exactly where he needed to go to make sure that ball didn't go in the back of the net so I mean I guess if they if they want to do that little routine as long as the ball doesn't go into the net I think I'm fine with it. However maybe- on that play Lil Steph did end up getting like his shoulder cleated and his jersey ripped so I guess he paid for that one a little bit.
1: Maybe it's an intentional thing that they're doing. They, they, give up the, they give up the goal in the Vancouver game that way to set it up going forward so that then in future games they can give teams that opportunity. So they feel like, oh, we've got a for sure goal. And then Sissoko clears it and they demoralize the team and then they demolish them from there.
2: I really think you're onto something.
1: I have no foundation for this conspiracy <laughs> theory. But I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm willing to run with it.
3: What I love about this Good is role, that so this is a team that we already discussed has the best defense in the league, leads the supporter' shield, and we can point out these kind of defensive errors where um, we know that these two backup players, Sissoko and Cleveland, can improve. They can yeah. be better than the shutout they just got um. Or the two goals they gave up against I don't Um, But, you know, they, <laughs> there's room for improvement on a supporter shield leading team. Well, not, I thought it was, yeah. And not just because guys get healthy, which we know is eventually going to happen, but because we hope <laughs> uh, Cleveland's got, what, I think that might have been his 10th start across all pro leagues. Maybe a dozen now because he wasn't really a frequent player at the USL level even. And Certainly, Sissoko, he's, got le-
0: he's got about a 10 or 11 MLS starts.
3: Yeah, and, and Sissoko is uh, still under 20 professional starts. Even though he's a 21-year-old, uh, the organization that he came from in France is such a low division that uh, you can't really consider that pro. He didn't play – the San Diego team that he was with was the NISA in their kind of pre-professional year. So, you know, he basically was a a most of the time starter in 2020. And now this, like, there's plenty of room for those two guys with this MLS experience to get better. And, you know, sorry, rest of the Western Conference. Um, The Sounders are not playing at their best, even with their reduced uh, roster.
0: We also saw, you know, speaking of of reserves that, played in this one Danny Leva got I think his most extensive run out of the year uh, certainly I, I thought it was his best his most effective start of the year I know I think he started against San Jose but he was definitely better in this one he I thought did a lot right I think we also saw him with a little bit more bite to his game than we had seen previously like he's been known a little bit more as a connector and not necessarily as a guy who gets into a bunch of tackles, but he showed some attitude in this one.
1: Yeah. I just, before we got on, I was looking at, you know, some of the the stats on MLS's website and the match center are not super accurate, but the chalkboards do seem to be correct. And I mean, to your point, Danny's passing is sort of his hallmark trait and his passing was really good throughout the game but he also he had eight recoveries which i mean even with the sounders losing in possession by a very small margin um you know those recoveries which pretty much all came around the midfield line were an important part of the sounders keeping pressure on houston um he wasn't credited with a ton of other tackles or interceptions, but he was frequently involved in, you know, the like physicality and scrums happening in midfield. Uh, it's it's definitely been gratifying to watch him sort of grow into his game again this season after losing all of last season effectively, where you know through 2019 and the start of 2020 he was starting to break into the Sounders lineup as they, you know, went on to win and make it to another MLS cup final. Um, Seeing him start to regain that level of form that was getting him into those teams is really awesome, especially as Josh Atencio does the same and the two of them are going to be huge as we play through the gold cup and don't have, Christian and potentially don't have Alex rolled on for a stretch of time. Those guys being able to step into starting roles is going to be huge.
0: Yeah, I just l- finished listening to Garth's interview on Sounders weekly recently, and I would recommend people give that a listen. It's a, it's a good in-depth interview. He goes at length to basically explain why bringing in a player immediately is an impact player immediately is probably not going to happen while still allowing for the possibility that someone will get signed. But a big reason that he talks, he, he actually tries to spin. And I think there's some truth in it that this period of roster uh, thinness has been good for the team and that you've been able to see Danny Leyva get more time than you probably would have otherwise. You get to see Josh Atencio get more time. You've seen players like A.B. Sissoko and Steph Cleveland step into much bigger roles than I think anyone had envisioned for them at the beginning of the year. Even someone like Ethan Dobolari, who hasn't played a prominent role, but has been able to get some minutes, uh, has been able to at least get, you know, we've seen him play at least. And you know, it's it's convenient to say that this has been a good thing for them because this is a situation that he's sort of created by not bringing in more, like by leaving roster spots open. But it's also hard to argue with the results. Like here they are sitting at the top of the supporter shield while they are getting all these young players experience that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And, and he even goes as far to say that, because they went into the season with this mentality that some of these kids are probably going to have to play bigger roles than we have envisioned for them. There was no sense of panic when, you know, a will Bruin goes down when a Shane O'Neill goes down, when Nuhu who goes down, when uh, Nicholas Ladero is out for the, almost the whole year when Stefan Fry goes out, you know, you just go down to this list and you didn't expect any one of these injuries. You just certainly didn't expect all of them, but I think the Sounders knew going into this season that the plan was to give some of these younger guys more prominent roles than they had been given in years past. And that that sort of mentality was set in the off season and not necessarily something that they just picked up.
3: I'd, I'd still want a fourth forward on the roster and a backup right back would be really handy as well.
0: Yes.
1: Um,
3: no offense to Kellen Rowe, who, who all, he does have a, I think two appearances there at some point in his career. Yeah. But uh, uh, he is predominantly played on the left and the middle in his career, not on the right side. Uh, So somebody who is more attuned to that uh, that right back, right wing back role and a fourth forward would still be really handy. And when you have uh, what, like six roster spots open, uh, I still think there's an opportunity to do that without actually damaging any young players possibilities because uh, none of the young guys are a fourth forward or a backup right back. So um, both of those roles would be handy.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say that there there's a reason not to sign players now, but it I think it I think there is some validity to the idea that the situation that they were in for the last month or so has been has has worked out well.
2: This is a very unsubstantiated claim, but it does feel like they've been a bit more committed to the kids this season than in past seasons, and it seems like they have been happier to let them have their playing time and let them grow than in the past where they were like I sure would love to have that other player back but the child's doing a great job it just seems like they've been a bit more okay with it and that's probably the mentality that they had coming in that they were like this is going to happen and we're going to be ready for it
0: well I think back to the MLS's back tournament last year and after Shandon Hopio started one game I think maybe I asked Brian like what was behind that and his answer was basically like the coaches say we got to play the young guys more (laughs) or the 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 front office says we have to play the young guys more and I don't think that's the attitude this year like it feels like this year in part because they went through all preseason with this idea that these guys were going to have to we have to be prepared prepared for these guys to play but also that they were earning the time I think that that that's a big part of it is that I, I think the coaches really feel like the Josh Atencios and the and, and the uh, Daniel Levas have have really earned their time and I think it's notable that Steph Cleveland got the got the call over Spencer Ritchie I mean that was a decision that was essentially left up to Tommy Dutra and he seems to be saying no Cleveland is the better is our best option right now it's not we're not just giving minutes to a younger player because he's young. We're we're making a decision that's based in them winning the job in in training.
3: Yeah. When you point out last year, though, that like one of the things that MLS back showed us was a uh, you know, um, Opio's start wasn't good for a lot of unfair reasons. It was that weird 9 a.m. Yeah, local time disaster. But um, the little minutes, even that Josh Atencio, who now this year has been great, he wasn't that great last year shannon wasn't great justin dylan um not necessarily young but part of that defiance group like you look over the defiance group and, and the rare minutes that they got in 2020 none of them screamed play this guy more it was more of a we were all begging to see more of them because there were games like where the sounders were up five one at halftime so why not play the kids whereas this year uh as you were saying josh ab uh danny have all demonstrated that they're not just, uh, you know, they might have been given the uh, gift of a start, but what they've done with that time is demand that they play more frequently. And I don't think we've necessarily seen that from um, one of the young guys, basically since uh, Nuhu and Jordy DeLem. None of the rest of the, the guys that have received the call from S2 and Defiance have uh, performed at the level that Josh, Danny, and AB are right now.
0: I mean, I think you could honestly go all the way back to Jordan Morris to find, and before him, DeAndre Yedlin, as players who their performances demanded that they be on the field no matter who else was playing, right? And I think that that's maybe a situation that we're finding ourselves in now where, yeah, at some point knew who's going to come back, and you assume is going to go to the bench when that happens, but you're going to want to keep finding minutes for Sissoko because he's been good, right? Same thing, you know, Ladero is going to come back presumably at some point and you're going to have to put a 10, you might have to put a tensio or Leva back on the bench, but you're going to want to continue to find minutes for him because they, they deserve to be playing. And that's not necessarily the situation that they are in, in previous seasons. And I think it is a testament to the coaching staff and the front office and everyone else. Uh, you know, but speaking of Deandre, uh, there have been some rumors, and I, I wouldn't say, this is more connecting the dots type of rumors. These aren't rumors that were, like, I, I haven't seen a report that says the Sounders are on the verge of signing DeAndre Yedlin. And
2: we could write one.
0: We could. We could. And don't put it past me, uh, Beth. I don't steal my content. Uh, but there is there are some dots that appear to be lining up in a way that would suggest that this is a possibility and I'll, I'll lay this out for you. First item for the sake of the narrative is that he is apparently an expected Papa. Uh, he took, he posted a picture with him his I, I don't know if it's his wife or his, his girlfriend, but uh, posing with his pregnant significant other. So he's, he's about to be a dad. He's presumably in Turkey right now. Maybe he doesn't want to, maybe he wants to raise that child closer to home. And then there was a report from a Turkish journalist that basically said that uh, his that Yedlin's representation would like them to let him go for free. Which at first blush, you go, why would they do that? Galatasaray has him under contract. Why would they let go of a player who helped them qualify for Champions League last year? And then you realize that the guy who... Yedlin replaced, which was due to injury. Apparently, he shot himself in the face with a firework. Is that right? Anyone confirm that? Anyway, he's he's due to come back, and so they don't necessarily need Yedlin to be a starting right back. So they, and on top of that, they had uh, they had gotten Yedlin for free from Newcastle anyway. So it's not like they are pot committed to, like they don't need to recoup a bunch of money on Yedlin. And then so finally, Yedlin is making more than the sounders could afford to pay him, but presuming that they could bring in a Tam player, it doesn't seem totally out of question that if he wants to get back to MLS, if he wants to get back to the sounders specifically, that he might be willing to accept something more along the lines of Tam wages, maybe with the unspoken promise of, uh, becoming a DP later down the line, uh, I don't know if that's what it would have to be, but you know, it's in the cards sounders presumably will have an open designated player spot next year. Uh, as Xiao Paolo will, uh, will no longer be a automatic DP. What do you guys think? Is this, do, 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 do we see, do we see this coming together or is this?
1: I, I would add a couple things real quick. One. Yeah. This
2: is out. reason six.
1: So. Yedlin would not be the first player to make his return to the Sounders or to the Seattle area on a bit of a deal this season. Freddie took like something league like minimum. A, the league minimum. Took basically like a 90% pay cut to yeah. come play in Seattle <laughs> he did. to raise his family here. Kellen is, you know, he didn't exactly come to take a raise to play in his he, hometown.
0: He took like a 50% pay cut too.
1: Um, The other thing, as far as why Galatasaray might be willing to let Yedlin go on a free, the Turkish league has a roster requirement that you can't have more than eight foreign players on your team at a time, you can only play five at a time. They currently, and according to Transfer Market, so grain of salt, some players might have other, you know... Naturalized citizenship I don't know what those requirements look like But they currently have 12 foreign players On their roster
0: Oh,
1: uh, So they
0: They may need a clear roster space Is what you're saying
1: Gedlin is not the only American or former MLS player In Turkey sort of dealing with these situations I've seen speculation That Kyle Laren and Terrence Boyd Are potentially mm-hmm. Going to have to move for similar reasons That their big spending clubs brought in too many foreign players and are going to have to deal people um so the there are enough sort of breadcrumbs leading to a tasty treat uh i yeah i have no idea yedlin i know there has been talk of him wanting to come back on the team potentially being interested in having him back under the right circumstances we could use another person who plays right back right wing. Alex
0: Roldan needs a backup is what you're telling me. He
1: does. <laughs> yes. And Yedlin's salary might be expensive for a backup, but having open competition at that spot
3: is certainly welcome. Beth, how many fingers do you have? Because I, um, I think I've got more seven now. Seven
2: reasons. Wait, hold on, I have reasons. Can I oh. say my reasons? Okay. Yeah. Go. Reason eight. He is a part owner, and whatever is going down in San Diego. And I will say that I don't know a ton about geography, but Seattle is closer to San Diego than Turkey.
0: I, I just did the math, and you were right.
2: Yes, <laughs> I knew it. Okay, and um, reason nine: the Sounders are really good, and players usually like to play for really good teams, where they might win trophies. Um, and so maybe that's a reason. Maybe. Okay, Dave, we're at nine.
3: Do you have more reasons? Oh, I've got a 10th one referring back to the uh, Garth Loggerway interview on Sounders Weekly. Um, And he said this basically like every third week uh, for the entire coronavirus pandemic. It's basically impossible to scout talent right now. So it's really difficult for us to bring in somebody because we don't know if their personality would be a good fit. You know, whose personality would be a good fit. The guy who already played here, who's played under um, Brian Schmetzer who trained under Brian Schmetzer before the Sounders Academy even existed and who visits the team just about every summer to just kind of hang out with a bunch of guys that he still knows. So um, that's reason 10. And I don't know that this is reason 11, but just a thing to take. Sometimes when a player is on what might be their second to last contract, rather than get big money, they go big years. And so one of the things you can do is give him like a five-year contract, four and a half year, Tam deal. Yeah. You know, high Tam value four and a half year deal to avoid the two year DP deal that he's on right now. So you extend him more money overall, less cap hit and you basically get him locked in for what is probably going to be a guy who admittedly is a speedy right wing back, uh, kind of like how they like to play um that's his his value there he's not a great crosser he's a decent defender he's better with the ball at his feet dribbling than he is short passing but his skill set is one that will wane over the next couple of years so it's not necessarily the type of guy that you want to bring in on dp money because in three years he's not going to be a two million dollar a year wing back, but he might still be a one million dollar a year Wing back or an 800 grand a year so th- i don't know that that's an 11th point but i think that's a a way that the numbers can work that make more sense if you get him on a free um it makes sense to have him in his early 30s as the eighth highest paid player on the roster it yeah, doesn't sure make other sense than being
2: 30 makes no sense to me in my brain
0: yeah I, that's, that's shocking i don't frankly. think
2: that's how math works
0: uh so i will offer this fly in the ointment as jerk as what happens i don't know i i I really liked where we were going with this but i have so
2: many reasons i know you
0: have a lot of reasons and i think all of them are compelling i i actually think there's there's more than nothing for sure to this but uh the problem is that he is one of the players listed on the allocation that's that's subject to the allocation process. And that's because the Sounders transferred him away. Now what's funny is that under today's rules, I think the Sounders actually would have retained his rights, even if they transferred him. If I, I think they may have made a rule about homegrown players and retaining MLS rights, but he is listed on the allocation list of players who are subject to the allocation order. And the Sounders are 25th on that list. Uh, Austin FC is number one. I I think that would require the Sounders to I know that it would require the sound like I don't think Austin FC is just going to be like sure take DeAndre Yedlin we didn't want him anyway Uh, I I think one way or the other the Sounders are going to have to pay up pay something to get him and I don't know I don't know what they're going to be inclined like would they trade draft picks sure they'd probably be willing to trade the rest of their draft picks for time immemorial frankly To make this happen like they they don't they don't seem to be putting a lot of emphasis in the in the draft these days and so they they might i'm sure they'd be more than happy to trade their next two first round picks for instance uh to austin fc to get them i don't know that that's really going to get this deal over the line uh more likely they're going to need to trade allocation money i don't know how likely they are to trade allocation money now of course a lot of this is going to be you know like on some level you imagine that Yedlin might not be willing to go play anywhere but Seattle. That could change things. I also, I do wonder how much the Sounders would be willing to give up for, frankly, a, a position that they don't need a, they're not like if they were going to go out and sign a Tam player, I don't know. I don't know why we would think they, like, I don't think any of us think they're going to go out and sign a Tam wingback. Uh, at least a, I don't, I don't think they would sign a Tam wingback at either. I mean, I guess they already, they might not even have a Tam winger at in Brad Smith. So I I do think that those are two legitimate roadblocks to this getting done. Do you either does anyone think that I'm overselling those roadblocks?
2: I will say that we do have Garth Loggerway, which I think makes That's it more interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, if anyone was going to get an allocation spot for a very undervalued amount of MLS things, it would be Garth.
0: And I suppose you could argue that they, they also have, they have two open international spots. I suppose those international spots have some value. Uh, in fact, we just saw one like, traded for 230,000 in allocation money. Right.
3: And the, the, the leg- last two, last two international, all uh, right. Yeah. The last two international slots have gone for uh, 250 each time. Um, and three of them total this year at Portland, getting it, doing it twice. Have gone for two hundred and fifty. So,
0: yeah, I mean, if they could trade, I mean, whether or not Austin needs that spot, they could theoretically trade that roster spot, and then all of a sudden they have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of extra allocation money. Maybe you know, you you piece that together. That doesn't seem crazy to me. I suppose that's uh, maybe we're right there. Maybe we made the deal for him. Welcome back, DeAndre.
3: Uh, First round draft pick, an international slot, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I do think there's like, joking aside. I mean, I think Yedlin's an upgrade over Roldan, but I don't. I don't know that he's a massive like.
3: He's an upgrade over Roldan, but and I we also know that Alex can flex into the central midfield, yeah, but, and can play as as a winger at times.
2: Do we uh, know no. what Alex wants to do in his future? I feel like no one was ever like, "Do you want to move past MLS?" Because there was a while where we didn't think he was going to move into MLS.
0: Yeah, that's a fair. I, I think that's so a totally like, I legit. I don't know what
2: he wants to do in the next two years.
0: I mean, and um, not like no, this is not this is not being silly. I mean, who like the Gold Cup? He's going to be playing for El Salvador. Presumably, he's going to be starting for El Salvador. He could have a great tournament and suddenly be a very interesting transfer prospect for someone. I mean, we just saw Henry Wingo transferred for like a million euros to a champions league team. And I, I think that rolled is probably a better wing back than Henry Wingo. Uh, and so it's not crazy to think that there is a market out there for Alex Roldon if he's interested in doing it. So, you know, maybe this all works itself out and this is, and Yedlin comes back and Roldan leaves and everyone well, let, gets what they want. I suppose. Maybe we
2: stop manifesting Alex leaving. Yeah, I let's like not Alex. do that.
0: That's fair. But I, I do too.
2: I think he should have opportunities that he wants and maybe they're here. Maybe they're in sure. Seattle. Maybe.
3: maybe. Absolutely. I mean, he just did say that they're going to beat the United States. And if El Salvador beats the United States in the gold cup, Alex Roldan's value, um, for lazy like let's let's be honest there are lazy and scouting directors with lots of money all over europe uh that look at tournaments like the gold cup and all of a sudden the, this player who has been a bit piece on a bad team in, in alice's case not true but we've seen it with so many mls players now moving for one to five million dollars and they're like not you're actually just good.
0: slagging brian reynolds for no reason
3: oh, th- and reggie cannon um <laughs> And the the Busio kid from Kansas City who's about to get sold for $7 million just because he got some national team appearances or interest even. I don't even know if he was – like he's Golden not a significant – like he's not a significant player with the U.S. But all of a sudden, a bunch of European guys are like, well, I got extra cash. I'll just fling it this at, at an American and it works. Um, we might as well get some of that money, right? Sure. I mean, I – First, in
1: the immediate term, if the Sounders were to sign DeAndre Yedlin, they all of a sudden have a really interesting mix of options. They can throw at teams at the wingback positions because I don't think they're direct comparisons, but really fast player who's maybe not a great crosser, you can put Yedlin on the right or Brad Smith on the left depending on what the matchup looks like on that side, or you can go more technical, can hit a better cross, better passing on either side with Madronda or Alex Roldan. So those are like the ability to flex, depending on what the other team is showing you is definitely valuable. I also, you know, Alex is going to play in the gold cup and then world cup qualifiers because El Salvador is still in contention to go to the World Cup. So he's going to play against the big CONCACAF teams.
0: No, he's going to get, Alex is going to, like, this time next year, Alex is going to have a resume that includes a lot of international play, potentially.
2: I love that and for him.
0: Good I do job too. Alex. Yeah, good job, Alex, for sure. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, To circle back to the conversation we were having earlier about about Garth And his statements to Sounders Weekly about the kind of potential predicament the Sounders are going to find themselves in next year is that, you know, they have a flat salary cap. And so you almost have to build in space to give raises, especially when you have guys like Alex Roldan, you know, Freddie Montero, maybe not looking for a big raise, but he's like, it's notable that he's on a league minimum. It's notable that Alex Roldan is on a league minimum. It's not notable that Josh Atencio and Danny Leva and Steph Cleveland uh, and A.B. Sissoko are all players who are essentially on league minimums and next year, they're probably not going to be on league minimums because they don't have to, like, they're going to be able to demand raises. They might not be dramatic raises, but you know, if Alex Roldan is playing well internationally for El Salvador, he is, his earning potential is going to be a lot more than the league minimum. And the Sounders may not be in a position to, to give him that money. And so it, it, you know it behooves the Sounders to have options, uh, and this is good for Allah. I mean, Alex is, deserves all this.
2: I will say, if we decide that Alex doesn't want to leave us behind and his brother, and we get to keep both Roldans, yeah. and we get DeAndre Yedlin, yeah, I will say that in the next year, I'm assuming the Open Cup will come back. Yes. If we continue playing like we will be, we're going to have CCL. Right. And there's also all of these weird leagues tournaments. That yeah, Campionis Cup
0: and League I league's don't know Cup what they and, are, but right. they
2: exist and they're more games that we play for trophies, and I yep. like trophies. I do so too. So I feel like it would be really nice to have two good wingbacks because they are kind of important in the way that we're playing. So yeah. we have MLS, which is already a circus sometimes. And then we have all of these other games. I wouldn't complain about having two right backs that would be able to start and be good at starting and playing soccer and doing the soccer things.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is how Mexican teams are built. This is how European teams are built. They have, they have good backup players and that's part of that's really, that is like all joking aside, that is the next step for MLS is that, you know, I think we've got to the point now where our starting 11s are as good as anyone in the, in the region, but it's, it's that next step of players that there's tends to be this big drop-off. And
2: maybe we influence MLS to make a new, one of those new fun rules where they're yeah, like, sure. this is the direction we want to take the league. You're right, Seattle Sounders. Great job. Here's a rule.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, you know, like, and that's part of why I like these other competitions is that it forces MLS to think about roster building differently. Uh, I actually, I don't know. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like, excited about leagues cup but i'm not gonna i i, I, don't, I don't like the, I, I don't dislike the idea of trying to win another trophy i i three well, games
2: it only takes three games
0: it takes three games and potentially one of those games well, the last time they played this tournament which is 2019 the final was in vegas and i'm not against going to a final in vegas
2: could be fun i think three games to a trophy is a great it's a great return on investment
0: yeah, I do too. I do too. That's part of why I was into the Campionas Cup when Same. we were going to play that last so year. It's sad. like, one game. You get a trophy for one game. I'll take it. I I love the look of like a packed trophy case. I think that's fun.
2: Can you imagine uh, how, sorry, how annoyed the rest of the league will be if we do sign DeAndre Yedlin? Like, good. I was listening to Extra Time Radio and I know that's part of their bit, but like they opened up with a section on the Sounders because obviously... We're winning right and they just seemed so annoyed to have to talk about us again and they were like i don't know how they're doing this they don't have any players and they keep winning and i'm i'm just i'm tired of seattle and i was like well
1: what if we got
2: better right without bringing our injured players back what what then what are you going to do about it
1: This is something that I wanted to sort of touch on earlier when we were talking about how well the team is playing in spite of these absences and young guys stepping up and really performing well as they've grown into the team. And I feel like every show that I'm on, I rip something from Brad Evans and Steve Zakawani's podcast, but they, in their most recent episode, were talking with Kellen Rowe about sort of the differences between the Sounders and Sporting KC, which is particularly notable right now because Sounders and SKC are one and two in the Western Conference and Supporters Shield standings. And I think one of the big things that Kellen and Brad noted is under, under Peter Vermees, Sporting Kansas City's success is largely... Peter Vermees is doing. He has a significant amount of control over every aspect of how the club operates. And for lack of a better phrase, the way that team is run is very militant, that there's like very strict rules of like, this is when you show up, this is you wear this exact thing on game days. This is how you behave in the locker room, all of these things. If you don't follow these rules, you get fined which I think instills a mentality that then like you're going to be told to do really specific strict things when you're on the field and when you're in a game and that's how that team operates and you sort of like obey where with the sounders, you effectively are buying into being part of a family. Like that is the way that they talk about the team a lot, that it's a family, whether that's talking about the large ownership group now or the team itself players buy into brian schmetzer's vision of the team because brian schmetzer will make them the best version of themselves as a soccer player and he has an incredible ability to see what players strengths are and play them in a way that maximizes those strengths and abilities the like those are huge things to be able to do that even when you are playing without your best players the best next man up ethos is real and they're like when you are playing for the guys next to you it's not just like oh this is my job i'm gonna go out on the field and i'm gonna do the best job that i can but you feel a sense of ownership and responsibility that like if you don't play to your best that can be the difference between the team winning and losing and you don't want to lose because like you want the other guys to be happy and you want to be happy. So you're going to play your best and the guys around you support you and make you believe that you can be your best. And I think we see that in the way that, you know, Raul Rui Diaz goes and celebrates a goal with the kids on the bench or, you know, other veteran players are grabbing guys as they walk off the field. And Freddie Montero is giving advice to a guy like Danny Leva. where this is Juan Alvarez yeah i mean these are huge important things that if you are an mlssoccer.com voice you can say like i don't get it it's it's weird they are just doing nonsense soccer and brian schmetzer wears glasses like (laughs) but if you take any time to look at what's happening it's not that hard wireframe
0: glasses right here is this
1: it's not that hard to see why, beyond just that, like the guys playing soccer are really good at playing soccer, why this team is successful?
0: Yeah, it's it is it is kind of a amusing thing. Uh, and I think those are very good observations. I should note that Dave Clark has left us his phone died, so that's we haven't heard from Dave for a while, but uh, it, it's been. It's been a ride. Uh, I'll tell you, going into, I definitely did not, you know, it's funny. I, I look back on, and I don't, you know, we don't need to get too meta in the conversation talking about other things, but like, I know there was some discussion on, on the podcast or on the site today about how extra time doesn't leave. We kind of brought it up here too, I guess, but extra time not kind of getting tired of the Sounders. And I, and I will note that like when they said the Sounders would take a step back last year, I think, we have to acknowledge that that was sort of the consensus opinion. And that wasn't just the consensus opinion of the pundits. It was the consensus opinion of even people like us. I think most of the fan base, I mean, when I, when I said at the beginning of the year that I thought the Sounders would be a mid tier playoff team until mid season, and then they'd get some reinforcements and, and improve. I got a lot of stick for being too optimistic, like not, not being realistic about the Sounders struggles to like recover from their lost players last year. And so I, I do think we should acknowledge that this is an uh, this is a surprising place for the Sounders to be in right now. I think that they've done it in a way that feels sustainable, that feels you know uh, that they can actually get better. That's what's crazy to me is that as good as the Sounders have been, I don't think getting better is off the table at all. Like maybe it's,
2: it's getting better in multiple places. It's getting better by the people that are filling in. It's getting better by getting people back from injuries. It's getting better by bringing in new players. Like there's so many ways that the team can improve.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you. I don't know that you can, you know, I, I think I made the argument that the win over RSL was one of their best. All like complete, most complete performances of the season. I think you could maybe argue that the dynamo game in some ways was something like a complete performance, but man, you can still look at that game and find a lot of room for improvement. Um And I think that's, that might be the most encouraging thing is that it doesn't feel like they're playing out of their mind. Like if you look back at 2019, when LAFC went on their amazing run, like it was hard to imagine them improving. Like at this point in the season, they were something like plus 20 goal difference and they were blowing everyone out and they were playing lights out defense. And it seemed like they just couldn't be beat. And of course, they did get beaten. Uh, I don't want to. I don't know if you all remember that, but in 2019, the Sounders actually beat them and won MLS Cup. But I think there was something to be said about like kind of peaking too early with that team. And the Sounders are, I think, one point off the pace that that team set right now, and they're not playing nearly as well. And and like to think that they could maybe maintain this pace or get better. Like I, I assume they will lose a game or two this year. Uh, but they could absolutely win more than they won in the first, you know, win at a higher rate than they did. And that would be a pretty good trade-off. But I,
1: this think, is... I think even if you look at the the game against Houston, like Freddie Montero had not looked like a great partner in his other start alongside yeah. Raul Ruiz Diaz, but this was the first time where for the entire time he was on the field, Looked very much like he did in his substitute appearance for his first game back. Like right. he was really Freddie Montero as a ten, pulling the strings, whether that was hitting crosses out to a wing back or playing slip passes that very nearly turned into goals. He is only going to continue to build chemistry and better understand how Rui Diaz plays and where Rui Diaz likes to make runs. And that combination is just going to get better. Um, It's very easy to see how even without additions or guys coming back from injury, this team continues to improve.
0: Right. That's an even wilder way to put it. That even if without the addition of the, of new, of new players either that are currently not playing or from outside the team that the players that are playing could actually get better. Cause that's, you know, and that's another thing that Garth has said is that the nice thing about playing young guys is that they have the potential to improve throughout the year. Whereas you don't necessarily expect that from veterans. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be feeling good about, um, this has gone on this has gone a little long for us but this is good this is a you know we you got what do you got else to do you got 10 more days before there's another game so there was a lot of
2: reasons for why i we think we're gonna sign deandre Yedlin. so that's the priority of
0: this (laughs) that ended up being like a whole episode worth of content as it was so uh it's not our
2: fault that it makes sense
0: right we're just messengers we are merely vessels for information uh but anyway, that was, uh, and we didn't even talk about soccer Jesus this week. Crazy enough, or soccer Moses? Which one is it? I don't know. I think uh, it's
2: soccer Moses.
0: It is soccer. <laughs> I guess I get my biblical characters mixed up sometimes. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, we'll probably you'll probably hear from us again before there's a game. But uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off for Beth Mantle, Tim Foss, and Dave Clark. R.I.P.